This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Hello, friends, and welcome back. Today, before I tell the story of Ted the Plumber, I'd like to remind you that if you'd like to contact me with thoughts you may have about what I say or suggestions for topics, you can write to me at ancientpaths at cantrell.cc. Also, I'd like to remind you that I have a YouTube channel that I'm slowly populating with these talks. You might want to access what I'm saying through YouTube. And another thing that just happened recently, the music that you hear before and after my talks is actually me playing the guitar. Before I moved to Russia, I recorded a couple of albums, and they are now available on iTunes and Spotify and other places where you get music. Uh, you can look me up, Michael Cantrell. The name of the two albums are Sanctuary and Invocation. And the tune that I use for the introduction of this podcast is a tune written by a blind Irish harper named Turlow O'Carlin. And the name of the tune is Fanny Power. There was a lady that he wrote a tune for. And that was her name, Fanny Power. So that's that tune. If you're interested, you can go on iTunes or Spotify, look me up, Michael Cantrell. Oh, there's another artist named Michael Cantrell who has an album... And I believe the name of it is Moose Knuckle Honey Suckle. <laughs> well, that's not me, but that is an excellent name for an album, Moose Knuckle Honey Suckle. However, my two albums are entitled Sanctuary and Invocation. Okay, so today I want to tell another story. The first story I told was The German Lemon. You can go back and listen to that if you haven't. When I told about uh, a German Volkswagen van that we had here in Russia that caused quite a bit of heartache and taught me some really good lessons. So today I'll tell a story about Ted, the plumber. His name was Theodore. Everybody called him Ted. And this goes back to before I moved to Russia. So many years ago now. For those of you who don't know, I lived in Austin, Texas for maybe 12 or 13 years before moving to Russia. And while I was in Austin, I had a couple of small businesses. One of them was buying and selling old houses and fixing up old homes. In addition to those two businesses, I was also an administrator at a small local church in Austin. And I'll tell you how Ted fits into all of this. I bought a house from Ted. As a matter of fact, it was the house that I thought would be my last house that I would purchase for myself in my life. It was a beautiful stone house, a beautiful piece of property in a wonderful location, and I was the second owner. Ted had built that house. He came back from World War II, and like so many young men at the time, he started a business. He was a plumber by his trade, and he built this house, and he raised his children there, he and his wife, in that beautiful old house. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about it. It had wood floors and a big kitchen, and it had a pecan tree out front. And I'm going to tell you the story about that pecan tree at some point. It was a pretty special pecan tree. And it had big magnolia trees. And he did something 
that is very much of the South, before air conditioning, people would open their windows at night to let the cool breezes blow through the house. And it was a tradition in the South, and he and his wife did this, to plant sweet-smelling flowers right outside your windows. So at night, when you opened up the windows for that cool breeze to blow through, the smell of those flowers would come into the house. And he had a big fan, we call it an attic fan, that was mounted in the hallway, and you would turn that on at night and it would pull the air into the house through the windows, and then the air would go up into the attic and out again. So you could turn on that fan, and there'd be a pretty good breeze coming through the house, and it would quickly cool off the house, and oh, it smelled so sweet with those flowers just outside the window. Well, I got to know Ted when I bought this house from him. He was a great guy, a really, really good guy. And when I met him, he was in his 80s, I would say his mid-80s, late-80s. And he had cancer of the spine, and he was a small man. He, was, he had cancer in the spine, and so he was shorter, I guess, than he had been. And the illness had taken its effect on him, so he was pretty frail. He was small. And when I bought the house, before I closed on it, which is before I actually got the, the deed, the title to the house, I sat down with him and would visit with him. I was living in the same neighborhood at the time, and so I would go up and sit with him under the pecan trees and talk. So I got to know him, and I was asking him about the house, when he planted these magnolia trees, and the story about the pecan tree that I'll tell you in the future, and just had a good time talking to him. He was a really, really nice man. He had been an elder at his church for 50 years. Well, I guess now that I think about it, it was 50, because he was 37. He said he was, I think he said he was 37 when he became an elder at his church, and he was now 87 years old. So he's a really strong believer, very dedicated man in that home all those years. It was a fun place for his grandchildren to play. And I haven't mentioned yet, but one of the nicest things about that house was he had a big smoker out in the backyard. And for those of you who don't know, in America, there's quite a tradition of smoking meat and so you build a fire at one end of a firebox, and then the smoke will go through this area. It's not very hot in that area, but the smoke will cook the meat. And it was big. He had a big one. He would have big parties out there. It was a double lot, so there was a lot of land under the trees, and he would have big parties. And later I did. I had similar parties for our church under the trees there. And I would smoke a turkey, an entire turkey. It'd take 15 hours to smoke this turkey. And there was enough room in there, honestly, to cook uh, 15 turkeys or something like that. I would do two or three at a time sometimes. But, uh, boy, he would really have a party <laughs> and have people over. And So he had the gift of hospitality, which is important to me also. So as I said, when I met him, he was small and frail he had a big RV, a recreational vehicle, which is uh, basically a house on wheels. And he had planned to drive that across the United States and go out west and visit his children and grandchildren. And that was his plan. He was going to sell his house and then travel around the country in this RV. But he had cancer, and so he couldn't do that. He couldn't stay seated for long periods of time and and he needed to be close for um, medical care. 
So I got to know him real well, and I liked him a lot. But when I met him, he was an old, worn-out, sick man, still very outgoing and talkative and very enthusiastic for life. Well, after I bought the house from him, I would go visit him. He uh, was slowly going downhill physically, couldn't do as much as he did before, and he was staying with a friend. Since he'd sold his house, he was basically homeless, and so he was staying in a spare bedroom at a friend's house. And I would go over and visit with him and talk to him because we became friends. And over time, I witnessed Ted over several weeks, maybe a couple of months. I watched his health go downhill, and he went from being very outgoing and talkative to being less and less enthusiastic. His energy was just really dropping down. He became less interested in talking about the old days. I also watched him physically deteriorate. He went from being able to get up and come meet me in the living room, and we'd sit and talk. And after a while, he was having trouble sitting up in bed. He couldn't walk across the room to go to the bathroom. And the last time I saw him, he couldn't get out of bed on his own. So he was literally on his deathbed at that point, though I didn't know it at that moment. And I was in his bedroom talking to him, and he's sitting on the side of his bed, and and he put his head in his hands, and he sat there quietly. And then he said, sometimes you just get down, down. That's what he said. Sometimes you just get down, down. Well, not too long after that, he passed away. And in the interim, between when I last saw him and when I went to his funeral, I was going through a shed, a storage area that was attached to his garage. And I've mentioned this garage before. It was also my prayer closet. I would sit in that garage and do business with the Lord. And I was going through this storage shed, and I found a suitcase pretty high up back on a shelf. There were a lot of old tools. You know how people just kind of accumulate things over a lifetime. And I found an old brown suitcase up there back in the back, and I pulled it down, opened it up, and it was full of photographs, family photographs. And here was the house, and here was family members. And in a lot of these pictures, there was a big barrel-chested, jolly-looking fellow who was always smiling. And I realized that was Ted, that Ted had been a big, sort of a Santa Claus-shaped, jolly, happy man. He was wearing suspenders, and he was smiling. And, you know, when I met him, he was small and thin because of the illness, but he had been a big, happy man like a big bear of a man, the kind of guy that would just give you hugs and smile and always be encouraging. And that was Ted. And then he passed away, and I realized, well, I would see his family there, so I took the family pictures to the funeral to give them to his family. His uh, children had come to the funeral. And at the funeral, it was really a sweet funeral. There were lots of people there. You could see that he had a lot of influence in his life. People really loved him. And the pastor who did the funeral, had been a fishing buddy of Ted's. They had gone fishing for many, many, many years together. And in the service, I guess I should finish up just saying that I did meet with his children 
and give them the pictures, and they were very appreciative of receiving these family photographs. And during the service, the pastor said, Many of you who saw Ted in his last days did not recognize him. And I thought, well, yeah, that's true, because he had been such a a life force in his community. And then the pastor said something that has really stuck with me. And this is kind of the crux of this story about Ted. The pastor said, many of you who saw Ted in his last days did not recognize him. And then he said, sometimes the Lord allows a person to be completely humbled so that he will completely enter into the kingdom of God. And that really touched me because I had watched Ted in that process of being humbled. I had watched Ted go through the process of having to release all of his plans, everything that he valued in this earth. He was having to let go. Of course, his wife had gone on before him, but he had these plans to travel around the country and visit his children and his grandchildren. And the last time I saw him, he couldn't get out of bed. Sometimes the Lord allows a person to be completely humbled so that he will completely enter into the kingdom of God. So we can see one of the lessons that I learned from this. To be completely humbled is a part of God's plan. God gives grace to the humble. He exalts the humble. He's close to the brokenhearted. And it's good to be humbled. Another lesson that I contemplated after that funeral, and actually I believe it paved the way for me to leave my home culture and move to another culture, is that it's good to die daily, to be on our deathbed every day. I watched Ted being forced to let go of everything, even his ability to get out of bed. And then I started thinking about it. Well, at some point, I am going to have to let go of everything I've known on this earth. You will too, anyone listening to my voice. At some point, when our spirits leave our bodies, we have to let go of everything that we've known here. We have to let it go. And that's when God taught me this lesson. It's better to do that now rather than to wait until the end of my life. God taught me that it is much better to let go of everything now rather than to wait because I'm going to have to let go of it at some point and it's good to do it now, which is what Jesus taught. You've heard me say, that it's impossible to offend a corpse. It's a great way to encapsulate this truth that there is so much freedom in death to self. As we die to ourselves, we just won't take offense. If I'm in a situation where somebody says something really bad about me to my face, now I understand, well, God's allowed me to come into this situation. He is not surprised. I shouldn't be offended by what somebody might say about me. If I'm going to die to myself, then I can listen and hear and not take offense. And it really helps in smoothing over rough patches in relationships. There's just so much freedom in death to self. And as Jesus said, it's necessary. If we're going to be his disciples, we must die daily, take up our cross daily. I've recently been involved with a project I'll tell you about a little bit later, I think, 
I'm editing some audio of a teacher for a website. And one thing that this author said is contentment cannot dwell with self-pity. There's a series of talks on contentment, and that really stood out to me. Contentment cannot dwell with self-pity. Self-concern is one of the greatest dangers to the Western church. There's just so much teaching in the world and in the church about being aware of ourselves, especially of our strengths, our gifts. Sometimes it's uh, being aware of our weaknesses, but mostly it's about being aware of ourself and our strengths, our worth, like evaluating our self-worth. And that, to me, is the consumerist world society exerting itself within the church. God tells us to be aware of ourselves, but only in the context of our sinfulness. <laughs> in Luke chapter 6, Jesus says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite! First, take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Some people take this as one of the examples of Jesus speaking with a sense of humor, because it is a pretty funny image. Somebody saying, let me get that little speck of dust out of your eye, and there's this big board sticking out of your own eye. <laughs> so Jesus does tell us to be self-aware in the context of our sinfulness and our hypocrisy. Contentment cannot dwell with self-pity. To be content necessarily is a part of death to self, where we just let go of our expectations, what we think we're owed because of our worth. It's not to think badly about ourselves. I'm not saying that, that we should have a hatred for ourselves. It's just stop thinking about ourselves. The times when I'm feeling most free, and there I said it, feeling, I don't, don't really want to use that word too much. So let me amend that. The times when I am the most free and moving in the Spirit are the times when I'm least aware of myself. So this lesson about letting go of everything to be on our deathbed, it runs through scriptures. It's a core understanding of what it is to be a believer, to be a follower of Jesus. I'll quote something that I've quoted often. We come to it again in this context. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus himself said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. Here I'll just take a little bit of time to talk about what is it to take up a cross daily. Well, there are lots of teachings about this, and I'm sure you've heard people talk about taking up the cross. And what does that mean? How does that apply? That was a big, big question to me as a young believer. A lot of people will ask it. I want to take up my cross daily, but what is my cross? What does that mean? If you haven't prayed that prayer, pray that prayer. Ask the Lord to show you, to teach you about it. And actually, maybe this talk right now will be a part of his leading you into an understanding of what it is to take up your cross daily. 
Uh, one thing that I heard that's really helpful on this is a cross was not in a place of instant death. It took time. The cross was a place of slow death, continuous death, dying. Men would hang on the cross for days before they died. In Jesus' case, it was kind of special. Actually, it was surprising that he died within a day. But the cross was not a place of instant death. It was a place of slow, continuous dying. So that helps me understand this image. To take up my cross daily is to be in a process of dying to myself over time. It's not a place of you just kill something and then you're done with it. The cross is a place of continually putting things to death. Another thing that's helped me in considering what is it to take up a cross is to think, what did Jesus do on his cross? Maybe by looking at that, I can get some ideas of what it would be like for me to take up a cross. Well, one thing is that he suffered for the sake of others on the cross. He set aside his life so that others could be saved. He was fully obedient to the Father. He could not save himself and also save others. And likewise, we cannot save ourselves and also save others. So to take up a cross is, in some part, to suffer for the sake of others, to lay aside our lives so that others can be saved, and to be fully obedient to the Father in that, to do what he has us to do in this process of cross-bearing. And then there are two things that Jesus said on the cross things that I can say daily as I take up my cross. There's so many things to think about when we think about taking up our cross and comparing it to what Jesus did. But these two things stand out to me and are actually very helpful to me daily. One thing that Jesus said on the cross, on his cross, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. He said that about the men who were murdering him, the ones who were laughing at him, ridiculing him, taking his clothing and gambling for his belongings. Remember, Jesus had to let go of everything. And for the people that were killing him, literally murdering him, he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And that helps me a lot in my interactions with people in various places around the world and in various circumstances in life. If someone offends me or does something terrible or uh, does something terrible to other people, I realize that they're just lost. So many people are just lost. They don't know what they're doing. They don't understand the spiritual forces that are at work behind the scenes. They don't understand their own sinfulness and being lost and perishing. They just don't understand it. And they need the Lord's forgiveness. They need God to come and save them. Remember Jesus said, we don't just love people who love us. We love our enemies. We pray for those who persecute us. So, I too can say, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. And I think pretty soon I'm going to start a series of talks about how to find peace in Christ in times of trouble. And in particular, I'll talk about times when people offend us and actually do bad things to us. It's very helpful to be able to say from the heart, Father, forgive them. They just don't know what they're doing. Another thing that Jesus said on the cross that's been really very, very helpful to me He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. 
that's that moment of death. Saying, Father, I'm not going to try to hold on to myself. I am going to commit myself to you. And it is so good to do that daily rather than to wait till our deathbed. As a matter of fact, if we want to be fruitful, productive members of the kingdom, we have to do this every day, all the time. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And that's a really good prayer to pray. That is a great thing to say to your loving Heavenly Father. Commit your spirit into his hands. Don't try to hold on to it. If you're in a place where things are being torn apart in your life and you don't know the future, you don't know what's coming around the corner, say this, I commit my spirit, Father, into your hands. Just let go. Let go. I think my recording this talk is timely because just recently a dear friend of mine passed away. He had cancer but didn't tell anybody about it until just the last week of his life. And we got word a few days ago that he had passed away. He had been a missionary here in Russia for years and then lived a very simple life. He had chosen a path of poverty to live overseas to be a minister of the gospel. And when his health made it such that he could not remain in Russia, he returned to his homeland and lived a very, very simple life, very poor life. But I would regularly get emails from him saying that he was praying for me and Olga, asking how he could pray for us. Very encouraging guy. And he recently went on to his reward. And I've got other friends who are in this process, I guess we'd say closer to a physical death. And some are suffering greatly right now. Death to self always hurts. It always hurts. Whether we do it when we're healthy or if we're going through this process like Ted went through at the end of his physical life, he was hurting and suffering and having to let go. You remember he said, sometimes you just get down, down. He was down. He was way down. He was really being humbled. And death to self always hurts. It does. But remember, God's way is that life always follows death. For followers of Jesus, life always follows death. That is the way God has created the universe. There's so much imagery about this in the scriptures. Just the imagery of a seed falling into the ground and just laying there dormant, not doing anything. And then life, not just a little bit of life coming from a seed, but a huge tree coming from the small thing that has been dead and in the ground makes me think of what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, I could read so much of what he wrote, but let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 5. I'll read a bit and then talk about it. We do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, 
persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us up with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Amen. That's a good word. And here we see these themes of death to self daily, so that the life of Christ may be revealed in us. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, Paul writes, so that the life of Jesus may be revealed through us. That's beautiful. That's God's way. We shouldn't run from difficult situations. We shouldn't flee from death to self. We should embrace it so that this eternal life of Jesus may be revealed through us. We are just jars of clay, but this is an all-surpassing power that is from God and not from us, and he gives that to us. In verse 16, there's a great statement of what it is to grow old in the Lord. Outwardly, we are wasting away, yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. I've seen that in the life of people who are moving towards their physical death. My mother is one example. As her body was giving out, we had really good conversations, and God was revealing things to her. She was inwardly being renewed every day that we had those conversations. Her body was wasting away, but inwardly she was growing up and getting ready for eternity. Ted went through a process like that. He was humbled. As the pastor said, sometimes God allows us to be completely humbled so that we'll completely enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's God's way. That's what Jesus said. That's what he wants of us because he knows that there's freedom and life and there's a foundation of truth that is eternal. And as Paul says, these are interesting. He says they're light and momentary troubles. He went through some pretty bad things, you remember? He was beaten and left for dead, and he calls it light and momentary trouble that achieves an eternal glory that's far weightier than anything that we would experience here. And this is the result, he says, fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, because what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Ted's camper, his RV, was seen, and it was temporary. But God was doing a work in Ted that was eternal. And God was teaching me through this experience of getting to know Ted and to walk through these days with Ted to focus my eyes on what is unseen, 
to fix my focus on what is unseen, because that is eternal. Closing, I'd like to mention a song that I came across recently. It was written in 1928. And if you get a chance to look this up on YouTube or wherever, it's a really beautiful melody. I think it's an old, ancient melody, and he wrote these words. The song is called, Now the Green Blade Riseth. And the imagery is of a wheat seed that falls in the ground, and then it springs up, it comes up green. Let me just read this poem. Basically, it's a poem that was written by John McLeod Campbell Crum. Now the green blade riseth from the buried grain, wheat that in dark earth many days has lain. Love lives again that with the dead has been. Love is come again like wheat that springeth green. In the grave they laid him, love who had been slain, thinking that he never would awake again. Laid in the earth like grain that sleeps unseen, love is come again like wheat that springeth green. Forth he came at Easter like the risen grain, Jesus, who for three days in the grave had lain. Quick from the dead the risen one is seen. Love is come again like wheat that springeth green. When our hearts are wintry, grieving or in pain, Jesus' touch can call us back to life again. Feels of our hearts that dead and bare have been. Love is come again like wheat that springeth green. That is a really beautiful song, really lovely. And the theme here is just what I've been talking about, that God's way is for death to happen so that his life, his eternal life can spring up. That's God's way. That's his way for us. That's his way for you. That's his way for me. He was doing this work in the life of a plumber in Austin, Texas. And I look forward to a great conversation again with old Ted when he and I are in our new bodies and we can perhaps sit under the trees again and talk and enjoy each other's company as brothers in the Lord. Until the next time, my friends, I pray that God will continue to reveal his ways and his will to you. His pathways are always good even though they lead us down a path of death to self. His pathways are always good, and they bring peace to the soul. Jesus said to his disciples, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thank you for listening, and God bless you all. Mm-hmm.